Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Surprise announcements from Governor Mike DeWine involving the coronavirus pandemic on Wednesday. It's what we're talking about on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston and Layla Atassi. We didn't really see that coming yesterday, but I guess maybe we should have. Of course, the editorial board of The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com called on him to do some of this stuff. So maybe he was just following our direction. (laughs) (laughs) all right i was hoping i'd get a laugh there let's begin what what was the surprise announcement about the coronavirus restrictions from ohio governor mike dewine wednesday when he made it a surprise address to the state Layla atasi this was a big deal because up until now he had said he would base these decisions on some metrics but he didn't DeWine is is lifting all the pandemic orders effective June 2nd, except for nursing homes and assisted living facilities. At his last public address, which was back in in early March, he said that the benchmark was 50 cases per 100,000 residents. And right now the rate is 123 per 100,000, which is it's on the decline, but it's not at that benchmark yet. So we're talking about all the statewide mask mandates that remain in place and the requirements that restaurants, bars and banquet facilities keep their tables separated by six feet unless there is a barrier between them and that spectators at sports games have to be spaced apart from each other unless they're in a group of 10 people or fewer. And and of course, that kindergarten through 12th grade students have to wear masks uh, and, and follow other rules. So these will all be lifted and, and left in the hands of, of the private sector and individuals to decide how much COVID protection is necessary in each of these settings. And at his uh, press conference yesterday, he said that each Ohio citizen will be making their own decisions about wearing a mask, social distancing, how to protect themselves and when for them those actions are appropriate. And he also said that uh, businesses and schools will be making the decisions, too. So he was hopeful that many of them, many of those businesses would continue to apply some of these measures for their for their own uh, patrons. And, you know, I've got some concerns about this. I feel that, um, you know, we're not obviously we we kind of agreed we're not going to reach herd immunity, but we're not done opening up vaccine eligibility to all Ohioans. Um, you know, especially children under the age of 12, who I have three of those. And I'm just concerned that, uh, you know, as we open things up and and let people um, come into establishments without masks and um, and following the protocol that we did before, that that 
you know, children, you know, I can't bring my kids to a restaurant without with people who are unmasked. And I feel like that kind of infringes on on our liberty as people who have been following the rules all this time. I wonder if there'll be studies done at the end of this to try and figure out whether compulsory rules are better than guidelines that that would we be better off if the government instead of doing what it did the, the shutdowns and the rules and all the draconian stuff which immediately got the segment of the population's back up i mean it caused immediate conflict and immediate protest would it work better if there were health experts explaining this is how you can keep safe this is what we need to do we think stores should have mask requirements and I, I just it would be interesting to see if you could have more success by by working I, on people's goodwill than create. I mean, because we got we got hostility all through the state. I know this is Laura Johnston. I feel like we tried that. Remember Amy Acton every day. She was appealing to our better, better angels, telling us to put on our capes and be good human beings. And what happened to Amy? No, Acton? no, that's not true, Laura. Well, they, they Mike DeWine slapped in those orders I know, in but, the second but they week did of March. They did ask us to wear masks over and over and over again. And I was wearing a mask. But then it happened in July. They put in the mask order because they weren't getting enough compliance. Yeah, so I, I think they tried it. I I think they felt like they had no other choice because they could get a segment of the population to follow the health, you know. You're forgetting that they came out in the beginning and said, don't wear a mask. Well, that's don't true. Don't buy a mask. That was for the that first is... six weeks. They said masks are useless. We didn't believe it, but they told people you don't need a mask. So then when they turned around and said, you need a mask to help others, people were like, what are you talking about? Then it was, you need a mask to help yourself. They blew this. Right. Nobody they, I, trusted I government. because, yeah. and, and it turned out it was a big lie. And they did it because they didn't want people to buy the masks that healthcare officials needed. And instead of being honest and saying, hey, please don't buy masks. The healthcare officials need them. We're going to work to get them to you. They'll be available soon. They lied. And so nobody trusted them. I know. They I think there was also in every this, possible way. There was also the idea that businesses wanted cover because they didn't want to have to kick people out. They wanted to be able to point to a state law and say, look, that's the law, rather than saying, you know, my business is making you follow this rule. They didn't. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we will have a long time to go back and say, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? I, yeah, I also I think we, we can't we can't uh, ignore the role that Donald Donald Trump played in downplaying the importance of masks and rejecting masks, really, and making this about personal liberty versus, you know, right. I mean, this the, the politicization of this was yeah. is the, really the factor that that killed the public health eff effort. But but I think part of that was we gave them something to rail against, which was the mandate. And I, I again, I don't know. I, I mean, you might find that someplace in Switzerland they tried to do it through goodwill and it was a massive failure. But I would love to see a study that shows what is the most effective way to get people to do it? Now, we're going to be talking in a minute about just giving them money to do it, which is another interesting method. <laughs> can, can we talk about that politicization and how it played out in the state house and the fact that these mask mandates were probably going to end at the end of June anyway? So, I mean, three weeks earlier now, right? I mean, it wasn't like he ended it today. He gave us three weeks. And it's it's cutting the difference in half. Well, he did have a showdown coming. I mean, it clearly the, the legislature had passed a bill. They were going to be able to unilaterally end the mandates in June. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to have a constitutional crisis. And 
So by doing what he did yesterday, he avoids all that. But it is a movement you're seeing across the country. State after state is saying, okay, it's time to rely on people's personal responsibility. We've armed people with what they need to avoid this thing through masks and social distancing rules and for the people who can get it, the vaccine. So it's time to go back to relying on people to do the right thing. But Layla. but Chris, then what what about what about the point that I made about all the people who aren't vaccinated who haven't been eligible yet, like kids? I mean, don't you think that that kind of puts families like like mine in a jackpot where we can't we can't enjoy restaurants and going out with our because they'll be filled with people with no masks? I mean, I want to I want to believe that restaurants will continue to to hold the line when it comes to these guidelines, but once they see that it's not. Uh, it, 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 that they see their their uh, competitors making more money with a full bar and a full restaurant. With you know, I I feel like that's going to be uh, you know. Wait, wait, my sister, my sister had the exact same reaction, and she has. I mean, I have two kids under twelve. She has more, you know, younger kids even. And she said, I can't take my kids to the grocery store anymore. Like, how am I supposed to deal with this? And so I think there are a lot of people that are feeling that way. I am glad that you're not. But the reality is in Texas, the grocery stores still require you to wear a mask. I mean, that that, hasn't changed. So so to just to just deduce that, well, I can't go to the grocery store anymore. We need to see how stores do it. I expect that what you'll find. And restaurants. Rest- I think restaurants, restaurants are, the, are the key. Right. And some restaurants are going to want you to come. And so they will make sure that you're comfortable. Others where they just want a bunch of 19 year olds to come and, and drink like fish. will will throw caution to the wind. But my bet is there'll be a shakeout that and so- word will spread. Maybe this will become like the new like smoking, non-smoking section of the restaurant. <laughs> do you want social distance or crowded? No, 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 do you want the germs or no germs? It's yeah, the no germ true. section of the restaurant. COVID or no COVID. <laughs> okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's zany plan to try and persuade people with cash to get the coronavirus vaccine, both students and adults. Laura Johnston, this one came out of nowhere. Yeah, it's Ohio's Vaximillion. I feel like we should have Vanna White and, you know, like jazz hands to uh, announce this. But <laughs> five Ohioans can win a million dollars if they're vaccinated uh, because they're going to be doing drawings once a week on Wednesdays, I believe. And the first winner will be announced May 26th. Uh, if you are registered to vote, you are registered to be in the Vaximillion lottery, which, by the way, is going to be put on by the Ohio Department of Health with help from the Lottery Commission. And then my understanding is if your name gets chosen, you just have to prove that you've had at least one shot of that vaccine. Maybe that'll bring in the question, you know, the vaccine vaccination card fraud. But hey, uh, this is the idea to get people to sign up. And you've got a couple weeks to do it. Also for kids, they're going to be giving away college scholarships to any state school in Ohio, including room and board, uh, starting the same time. So those 12 to 17 year olds can can get a college. How do they how do they register? How do the 12 to 17? Because they're not in the voter registration database. Do we know? That is a really good. I um, I believe there's going to be a, a web page for signups for everybody. So I would assume the kids can sign up there. But that's a good question. We'll get a definite answer. 
You know, I don't have to do anything, right, to be eligible to win the million dollars. They'll pick it out of the voter registration database. Frank LaRose purged all those voters. Those people are going to be seething. Um, Correct. And, and then if you want to make sure, you, there will be a website where you can sign up and make sure that you're up. entered. So, Wait, so, so, so if you're in the voter registration, if, this is Leila Tassi. So if you're in, in that database, how do they cross-reference that with, with a list of people who have gotten the shot? Or you're do they call you to, up and ask you, and you have to provide proof? And if you haven't yeah, got it, you missed out on a million bucks. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, imagine the poor person wow. that, that does that. Here's, here's so, what I think. I think. Oh, okay, I was going to say. I think they. they <laughs> let, let I feel like they question. should have. De- <laughs> let, let, let me ask a question. There's a bunch of people in this state that don't want to get the shot. They they are against getting the shot. They've they've considered all the information. They either don't trust the government, they don't trust the testing for the vaccine, or they're just being fiercely independent. Will this change their minds? Would 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 I mean? Are and and is it ethical? You know, one of our colleagues, Chris Ranowski, asked this morning: Is it ethical to pay people to do something that they're uncomfortable doing? Uh, actually, that is a very good question. We are going to be reporting it. I, I. I... I don't know. The, the reaction on social was like, this makes me not want to get it more because they're bribing people to get it. It must be terrible. So I think there could be some backlash. Oh, <laughs> I I personally think that what they should have done is divided this into smaller prizes instead of million dollar, you know, seven million dollars. Break it down into hundred thousand dollar prizes, because most people who are vaccine hesitant if this if money were to sway them, they're going to pass this by because the odds of winning are still so slim. It's like winning the lottery. So it won't really make a difference. They should have they should have broken this down into smaller prizes that would have been still, uh, you know, good incentive to to go do it. But yeah, but they don't, don't play the lottery. Of enter I mean, the lottery. Yeah, I mean, they're millions. God, how many of, millions, of them win? But they <laughs> what play, are the chips playing? They pay. They put their money forward to get it. I, it'll be interesting to see. Look, it's an interesting experiment. We've been. We're going to try and calculate how many people would have to be vaccinated to make this cost effective for taxpayers. Because if a bunch of people get vaccinated, they won't be on ventilators. They won't be in hospitals and they won't be on the public dime, many of them for uh, treatment. But, but it just came out of nowhere. What about the idea? And this, this gets into the ethical question and you're both, you know, young parents with kids heading off to college, one of these years in the future, in the deep future for you, Layla, uh, would would you change your mind about getting your kid vaccinated just to get a scholarship? If you've decided I'm not going to give what is still an emergency approved vaccine to my children, would this get you to change it? I, I, I don't fall into that category, so it's hard for me to, to speak to it. I, I would get my kids vaccinated. But um, but no, I mean, I guess if I had strongly held beliefs against the vaccine, I don't think money could sway me or a chance at money. That's what this is, a chance at it, a slim chance. So if I really thought that it was harmful to my children, like what kind of parent would then, you know, go back against their their strongly held belief in that on that in that regard? Yeah, I, so, I agree with Layla on that, um, that if, if you were saying this is too new, I don't trust it. I don't know what it's going to do to my kids then I don't think that you would gamble their future for a college scholarship, a possibility of a college scholarship. Okay. So then here's the other option that they might be looking for. If kids are slow to act and and do responsible things, will this get their parents to be more urgent in getting them in? I mean, meaning they plan to get it, but they didn't get around to getting it. That happened with, it seemed like the, 
Yeah, I think it, it'll move people. If people are like, I'm going to sure. do it, but they're just procrastinators. I feel like this, both of them, the million dollars and the college scholarships would get you to be like, okay. But I mean, the 12 to 15 year olds, that is just opening up right now. I mean, they haven't, yeah. yeah. So they haven't had like, it's not, they've been dragging their feet. Yeah. But if we can get a lot of the 12 to 15 year olds done, you get closer to the herd immunity. I mean, Correct. California believes they're going to be at 80% in July and man, we're not, we're not anywhere. We're so then get to that. here's the question for Mike DeWine in case he's listening. When my 10 and eight year old get, get vaccinated, can they get in at a lottery for, <laughs> for a college scholarship, please? Okay. Yes, you are seriously. listening to this week in the CLE. And my understanding, State Auditor Keith Faber's report on the State Unemployment Office correctly. Did unemployment leaders lie to cover up the massive fraud they were hit with and then take almost no action to stop it? Laura Johnston, this is a big story. Yeah, this came down and, and it was an interview that Jeremy Pelzer had with Keith Faber. And you're just like, wait, what? So Keith Faber talked to Jeremy, said that officials with the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services told auditors officials last year over and over again that there was no problem of fraud, nothing out of the ordinary. And then we find out in February that the director of the department said they knew about the fraud as early as June of last year. So that's, I mean... How does that, it doesn't add up, right? And so the, the tsunami of fraudulent claims eventually totaled more than $332 million in 2020 alone in Ohio. So, and Faber's really not afraid to name names in this. He pointed a finger at the former director, Kimberly Held Henderson, who stepped down in March to take a job out of state and said that she wasn't forthcoming. She said, Matt, he said, Matt Damschroder, the current administrator, um, appointed by DeWine has been much more transparent and working with them a lot more. But he said, basically, we've cut down the fraud a whole lot in Ohio since we became aware of it, but we could have done this so much sooner and saved so much money if we had known. Well, how is it not a crime to lie to the auditor? I mean, the auditor is talking to them because they know there's fraud elsewhere mm -hmm. and they keep saying no fraud here, nothing going on here. I mean, for, for, and there's a whole separate issue of malfeasance by not taking the steps to block it, which is shocking. And that's what Faber said. But I, I just can't get over lying to the state auditor who's trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, I, I, how is that pretty, not a criminal offense? Right. This was a routine audit that they do that they weren't being investigatory and saying you're doing something wrong. I mean, so you think they'd have a pretty congenial relationship. They're all in state government together. The whole goal is to save money, right, and spend it in the right ways. and. And they just said, no, we don't have a problem. Even when he brought up the state of Washington, which had paid out $650 million in bogus claims. And so, yeah, DeWine, uh, we asked DeWine about about Henderson and he stuck up for her, said the idea that this administration was not transparent, would he would vehemently disagree with such characterization. But we've known, well, that was what his spokesman, um, Dan Tierney but, said, but, but we've but, seen DeWine stick up for his appointees before. But the facts are clear. They right. did lie. They told the auditor there's no fraud here for months and months and months until the till we found out that that they had lied about it. I, I just don't get it. I mean, look, Mike DeWine, John Houston have sat stood before the public over and over again talking about the failures of the unemployment office. You know how many countless numbers of Ohioans suffered because of the failure of this office to do its job and, and serve people when they needed the benefits. But now we find out they were lying to the auditor while while we were just getting raided for cash by fraudsters and they did nothing to stop it. That's the second part of it. 
Faber's going like, why didn't you put up safeguards? You knew you were being hit by fraud. You did nothing to stop it and just let hundreds of millions of dollars flow out of your account. Right. Well, we were absolutely being inundated by real claims of people that were waiting forever to get their money. This is scandalous. And I, I would expect this will be an issue in the governor's race now. I mean, one, you've got the failure to serve the residents and everybody that, that and we heard from a lot of them, that suffered the inability to get money when they needed it for food and shelter will remember this when they're voting. But now, you know, that the, they were <laughs> they were letting hundreds of millions fly out the door without without paying attention and lying about it. It's a staggering story. We're going to do some follow-up. There needs to be accountability. Some heads need to roll here. This is bad news. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Did the chairman of an oversight commission for Cuyahoga County's independent watchdog bully the watchdog, as she claims? Leila Tassi, this seems like a really petty squabble in in county government. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of seems like that's what this has boiled down to. So an attorney that was hired as a special investigator found that in 10 of the 11 bullying complaints that the independent watchdog had filed against the chair of the committee that oversees her, the claims were unsubstantiated. So Director of Internal Audit Monica Houston filed these complaints earlier in the year saying that she had experienced aggression and coercion and belittling when interacting with the audit committee chairman Mike Abusaral and that he subjected her to unrealistic expectations in her job. The attorney who did this this investigation conducted interviews with, I think, 10 witnesses and and found the complaints to be unfounded. The only one that was substantiated was her complaint that Abusaral had told her to meet him at his home to prepare for a committee meeting because he had done things like that with Houston's predecessor. And so the the investigator figured out that that was probably probably true that he had that he had uh, um, or it was reasonable to conclude that he had probably uh, asked her to do that. And that made her uncomfortable. But he denies telling her to do that. Um, the attorney determined that a lot of the disagreements between the two really boil down to their perceptions of who's in charge. Houston didn't think that she had to answer to Abuzeral. And Abuzeral is a micromanager who tried to usurp her power. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how it's left. Houston's unhappy with the results of this. It's it's unclear if she has any further recourse here. But um, but I think I think that sounds like that's how it's, that's the conclusion. Seems like we spent a lot of money trying to settle a squabble, which is <laughs> we've got to do it. But it it just wow, it's it's amazing how this has bubbled up into a thing. You're listening to this week in the CLE. How big of a problem are fake coronavirus vaccination cards in Ohio? Laura Johnston, it could be a much bigger problem yes. now that you can get a <laughs> million dollars. When Evan McDonald wrote this story yesterday, the answer was like kind of shrugging your shoulders, be like, eh, they're not really used for anything in Ohio. It's no big deal other than maybe if you want to live in a a dorm of a college that requires you to be vaccinated. And most of the businesses that Evan talked to said, if people are going to go through that much work to fake a a vaccination card, we're not going to worry about it. They can get their free donut at Krispy Kreme or they can get their 10 cent beer at Market Garden and we're not going to check it out. However, now we have a million dollar prize to talk about in Ohio. And if, if the vaccination card, which is a piece of paper with you, that you write your own name on, um, is going to be the proof, maybe we're going to see a whole lot more people buying them here. I mean, they've been sold online, I think, and they can't be that hard for anyone to replicate. So this is a good question to ask DeWine, you know, how are you going to prove this? 
Well, they do have lot numbers on them. Yeah. I mean, they have very specific information about the vials of vaccine, and and the drug companies know, and the state know knows where these were sent. Um, and, you know, I guess you could fake it, but but I would hope that the state would be able to track down. Did you actually go to the drugstore or go to the Wolstein Center? I think the, the, the story did mention that the airlines mm-hmm. are having a problem with this, and that is an Ohio story. And I just don't know how the airlines will have the ability to do that verification. If I show them a counterfeit card, they can't go back to the Wolstein Center and say, was Chris Quinn actually here on the day he said he was? Uh, the counterfeits seem like they're, they'll they'll work. I don't, I don't know what you do. Do you set up a system where you create a government government bureaucracy to create real cards where people have to prove it like they do with their licenses. I just well, and that's know. like the vaccination passport, like the cell phone apps that people had been talking about before. But you're right. And I, when I went to the Wolstein Center the second time, I completely forgot my card. And it was actually in my other, other vehicle that my husband had. And they just gave me a new one. So now I have two. You know, like I'm, they're, they're in a safe place. But yeah, somebody could have done that with multiple. I don't know. This is Leila Tassi. I think they should have made these like driver's licenses and put like a hologram of Anthony Fauci imprinted on it. Or something <laughs> <like that. laughs> Anthony Fauci and Amy Acton, right? Because uh, <laughs> right. they were the heroes of the pandemic. Yeah, it'll be I, I, I just don't see how you're going to going to be able to do it. The state can easily track down whether somebody who gets a million dollars actually got it that you're going to check out five people i think in the broader scheme of things if you show a counterfeit card you'll probably get away with it it's a lot of work to go through to avoid getting the vaccination it'd be easier to just get the damn shot you're listening to this week in the cle how is digital c going to double its capacity to serve some low-income areas of cleveland with high-speed broadband Leila Tassi, this this is going to be an issue i think for the next decade getting full access to broadband to everybody it's no longer a luxury it's a it's a desperate need and digital c it's not huge numbers but they keep growing yeah, they're chipping away at this for sure. So this nonprofit, Digital C, wants, they want to reach capacity to serve 6,000 homes by the end of the year by adding a new mix of wireless technology and, and expanding links to fiber in the ground. And one of the ways they want to do this is by tapping into the Citizens Broadband Radio Spectrum, or CBRS, which will allow for an additional 400 to 500 subscriptions in the Huff and Clark Fulton communities alone. And uh, CBRS devices can be installed on rooftops to transmit a broad wave that will capture those homes that can't be served by what's known as as line of sight technology that sends directly signals directly to homes that are unobscured by trees or buildings. So Digital C accesses fiber in the ground owned by a company called Everstream. And assets of Digital C and Everstream were once part of one community, which was created like 15 years ago to extend fiber for broadband services to hospitals and other nonprofits. And so the fiber extends to a number of buildings around the city. And on top of those buildings are antennas that provide this line of sight connection to homes. And they also send signals to base units, which can be installed on homes or utility poles that provide this mesh of additional coverage, which is known as millimeter wave. And the CBRS adds this third layer of coverage by sending out signals in concentric circles that can kind of snake around the trees and low buildings and get to residences like that. And so it's a patchwork of different technologies to maximize the coverage. And they're offering packages as low as $18 a month, which we all know is really affordable considering what for-profit companies charge 
and the internet speeds will provide a sufficient, uh, you know, it'll be sufficient speed for all your basic functions of the internet, including like school and work and virtual doctors and all the zooming that we do now. And, um, yeah, so it's, 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 uh, like, like you said, it's, it's not huge numbers, but it's chipping away at, at what will be a, uh, um, you know, at what's been, been a problem in this, uh, pandemic era where we rely so much on, on technology. Yeah. And we just have to keep a focus on it. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Got time for one more. Let's go to Jim Jordan. What did Ohio (laughs) Congressman Jim Jordan have to say about Liz Cheney as he and his fellow Republicans removed her from her position in House leadership? Leila Tassi, I just cannot believe the Republicans feeding (laughs) on their own and trying to change the whole narrative to to say that January 6th did not happen. I know. It's amazing. She's one of the leading Republicans of the party, and they've just shamed her, and she is. She's being very vocal about it. It's like Donald Trump's a bad guy. Donald Trump sparked it. And I'm not going to stop saying it just because you want to say the emperor's clothes are pretty. What did Jordan have to say? So before the voice vote to to oust Cheney, this is what he told Fox News. He said that the party can't have its conference chair, quote, reciting Democrat talking points, especially when gas prices are up 50 percent. There's a crisis on the border and Democrats are trying to federalize election law and pack the United States Supreme Court. That's not helpful. I mean, just like such a such a diversion from what the actual uh, question is. So he says that the party needs its spokesperson to be in tune with more than a single digit percentage of the party. Coincidentally, Donald Trump released a statement after the vote that called Cheney a, a bitter, horrible human being who is bad for the Republican Party. And his quote was, she has no personality or anything good having to do with politics or our country. She's a talking point for Democrats, whether that means the border, the gas lines, inflation or destroying our economy. So I wonder where he got that quote. It's like it's like the the busted cliff notes version of Jim Jordan's Fox interview. <laughs> but it, it but it, we are. I, there's no doubt in my mind that 10, 15, 20 years from now, as people look back at this era, they're going to shake their heads in disgust at the cowardice of the Republicans who are all begging for Donald Trump's approval. I mean, Donald Trump sparked a riot in the Capitol, in the nation's house. And, and everybody saw it. I mean, you could, it was, it was, you know, it was televised and yet they're all trying to say, no, that didn't happen. Uh, and, and look the other way. They're trying to rewrite the history that we all saw because they're so afraid to lose this guy's approval. And he's a monstrous person. It boggles my mind. I agree. And and Liz Cheney will will be uh, forever remembered, I hope, as having been on the right side of history here. So, um, you know, I'm I'm she, I, I, I have no doubt she will prevail. It'll take a little while. The right thing will happen and all of these sycophants will be gone. I mean, look at in Ohio. Look what's going on. You got Bernie Moreno, you know, playing the Trump sycophant in a dis- I mean, here's a guy who had a great reputation in Cleveland and the strong businessman involved in all these public causes. And now he's trailing around begging for Donald Trump's approval. It's it's just I, I can't believe we're seeing this in our lifetimes. Uh, and, and Liz Cheney is standing tall. Uh, Jim Jordan taking his cheap shot. 
I, it was odd that he used gas prices. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we we had hackers take down the the gas line that serves you know forty five percent of the East Coast, but it's it's Liz Cheney's fault because she criticized <laughs> Donald Trump. There's some logic for you there. You're listening to this week in the CLE. That'll do it for today's discussion. Come back tomorrow for the wrap-up of the week's news. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs>